This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guest this week is Samantha Field, a blogger and seminarian. Her life has been formed by Christian education at every level. We talk about her experience being homeschooled, her time at Pensacola Christian College, and her time in graduate school at Liberty University. Her story and perspective are incredibly timely since Betsy DeVos, a key figure in the Christian education sphere, has recently been confirmed as a Secretary of Education. Christian education institutions, such as Liberty and others like them, are underserving their students, and they need to be understood by the larger populace. Sam's story provides crucial and personal context. As always, you can support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. For a dollar a month, you will gain access to the private Facebook group and higher pledges, have even more awards such as Google Hangouts and special episodes. You can also follow the show across the internet. It's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at exvangelicalpod, and I'm on Twitter at brchastain. I love feedback too, so you can send messages to contact at exvangelicalpodcast.com or reach out to me on Twitter. Also, swing by the iTunes store to rate the show five stars and leave a review. All right, let's get into it. Everybody, welcome to Exvangelical. I have with me Samantha Field. She is a blogger and uh, seminarian, and I'm happy to have her on. Uh, welcome to the show, Sam. Hi. Hi. Thanks for thanks again for joining me. I'm glad we were able to uh, to make this work. Um, so let's just really start at the beginning and get and get a little bit of background info about you. What part of the what part of the states did you grow up in? Well, I'm a military brat. So I was born in North Dakota, and then we were in New Jersey for a little while while my dad was getting things settled in Iceland, and then we lived in Iceland, and then we lived in New Mexico, and then we spent like a month driving all over the United States, and then we were in Florida, and then Missouri, and then I lived in Virginia, and then Colorado, and now I'm in Maryland. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've, yeah. you've been all over. Um, how long was, yeah. I mean, how long were you stationed in each of those each of those areas um so we were in north dakota for six years and iceland for three years and new mexico for six months and florida my dad got out of the military when we were in florida um so we we spent about 10 or 11 years there okay um, wow. That's, I mean, that's a lot. I, I've lived in like three places stops. So, um, <laughs> so that, that's a lot of, um, a lot of moving around. Were, were you, um, what was your school and your education like during that time? Was it, um, on military bases or, or what was, what was that part of your, your childhood like? So pre-kindergarten and kindergarten was in the department of defense school system. And then when we were in Iceland, my mom decided to homeschool me um, while we were overseas. But then when we came back to the States, she decided she liked homeschooling so much that she was just going to stick with it. So we homeschooled from first grade until I graduated. Graduated in quotation marks. Okay. 
Um, and did, did you have other siblings as well? Yeah, one younger okay. sister. Okay. Um, and what was the sort of was was the curriculum? Did it include uh, a religious aspect to it? Uh, yes. Uh, curriculum that we used is either a Becca or Bob Jones University Press. We experimented with a lot of other uh, texts for extracurriculars, but most of like the core, the three R's were either from a Becca or Bob Jones. Okay, and and um, did that? Um, so I'm not. I, I wasn't homeschooled, but I, I do know a number of people that, that have been. Did you also have, like, the different sort of homeschool networks and, and things like that that met with other families and that sort of thing that that connected you um, as well? This is, a, this yes is definitely no. a, This is definitely a very big, like, um, an, an area that I don't know very well, but I know that is very relevant right now as far as things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so... When we got back from Iceland, the church that we went to in New Mexico um, had its own church school. And when my mom decided not to put us in the church school and decided to continue homeschooling us, people were actually pretty hostile to my mom there. So when we were stationed in Florida, she made a church that was friendly to homeschoolers her number one priority Mm. because of her experience in that other church. So the church that we ended up in in Florida that I was in for about about 10 years, um, it, it kind of tried to do homeschool co-op things, but most of the women didn't have college educations. Um, I think one woman had a college education, but it was an early childhood education, so she like had nothing to offer for high schoolers. Most of them didn't know their way around like math. Um, so like the point of most homeschool co-ops is to um, help parents kind of fill in educational gaps, mm-hmm. but ours wasn't really capable of doing that. And we didn't try to join other homeschool co-ops in our county because the church that we were in was was so isolationist. It was just really discouraged for us to socialize with people outside of the church. Hmm. And on your website, you actually, um, when you reference your, your church, even in, uh, even in like the sidebar bio that you have for, um, for your website, you mention and you describe it as a fundamentalist cult. Um, can you, can you describe that a little bit more and, and what, how that environment formed you? Yeah. So I use the word cult because it's a really good shorthand for just communicating what my religious experience is like to people who don't understand concepts like um, spiritual abuse or religious trauma. Um, And in fact, um, a researcher on cults, Michael Angoni, has 15 signs of a cult, and my church fit 13 of them. Hmm. The only ones who didn't fit were overly preoccupied with making money and like communally engaging in mind altering states like uh chanting or meditation or speaking in tongues things hmm. like that we didn't do those two things but everything else we did <laughs> so uh, i i'm not familiar with that list what are some of the the key markers that that this um that michael angoni has yeah the other ones are unquestioning commitment to the pastor um, questioning or any kind of dissent is discouraged. 
Um, leadership of the church dictates minutiae of congregants or participants' lives. Um, the group is elitist, thinks it's the best, most true church Christianity out there, has an us versus them mentality. Um, there's no accountability or oversight of the church leadership, and mm -hmm. it embraces shame and guilt to control members. If your friends or family start trying to tell you that you're in a cult, you have to like cut them out of your life. Um, and the interesting one is like, uh, one of the biggest signs of a cult is you're preoccupied with bringing in new membership. Um, which is just like evangelicalism. It's in our name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it's a little more extreme in the church I grew up in. Every Thursday night we went in, into the community and we did something called door knocking for several hours every Thursday where we would knock on every single door in our, in our town and ask them if they were going to go to heaven when they died. Wow. Yeah. And Very did, intense conversations. <laughs> and you did this like as a family? Um, we do it as a church. As a church, um, okay. So we'd all meet together at the church, and then we'd pile into the church bus and go to a neighborhood, and it would, we'd be teamed up. Um, usually two men or two women would be together. Wow. So what yeah. was the response to that sort of action from the people um, you were on the other side of the door? <laughs> I think most of them were probably amused. Um, but like, you know, everybody has encountered like Jehovah's Witness and stuff like that. So yeah. however people feel towards them, they probably felt toward us. Mm -hmm. So with, with all the, I mean, it sounds like there were, you mentioned there was no oversight. So this was like an independent, non-denominational, but a lot of evangelical markers as far as the things that might be culturally common. Is that fair to say? Um. So I've never been sure on this point. Um, technically, the church is part of the independent fundamental Baptist movement, the church I grew up in, which there's no kind of organization. There's no kind of real anything. The point is to be independent. Right. But there yeah. are like like-minded churches that kind of get together and do things together sometimes. Like um, there's like IFB mission boards and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um. And I didn't know that technically the church I grew up in kind of fit, fit in under the evangelical umbrella until like long after I'd left it. Mm -hmm. Okay. As far as, and as just a couple, a couple other follow-up questions about, about that environment and everything for you, did they, was there a, like a, a youth group sort of culture there and were you, were you a participant in that part of the church? No. So the church followed something that is called family integrated. Okay. Which more evangelical churches are kind of joining out of this bandwagon where there's no kind of teenager separated Sunday school or youth group. It's just teenagers are expected to be part of regular church and don't, there's nothing special for them. And the idea is, is that all youth group does is train teenagers to expect church to be something different from what church is yeah so you're just you just go to church right there's nothing yeah. extra right yeah which is i mean we we started going to an anglican church and i mean that's just was sort of the the 
the default before the evangelicals moved away from that. And now the evangelicals are coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting as far as just a church service goes. Um, yeah. For your, for the rest of your family, for your sibling and for your parents, were they involved in the leadership there or the, um, or how, what was their level of activity? I mean, it sounds like you were definitely partic- uh, participated in extra things as far as, um, you know, knocking on doors on Thursdays. That's, that's, that's definitely a commitment. So, um, but, yeah. but were there any other sort of commitments or involvements at, at the church, uh, within your family? Um, so, so one of the hallmarks of a cult is cult members are expected to dedicate an order an inordinate amount of time to the church. So my family was probably no more engaged than any other family, but we were super engaged. Yeah. So, cause just everyone okay. was just so completely over-involved. Hmm. Um, it, it's interesting after leaving it, the, we were there for 10 years and the way everyone thought about this over-participation was that we're like really tight knit. We're really close. We're like family. We know all about each other's lives. We're constantly together all of the time. We're always doing all of these things together. Um, and it was sold as like a huge benefit of being a part of this church. Um, but now as an adult, I realize how unhealthy that was. Mm-hmm. Um, except um, when I go to churches now and they have like completely healthy levels of, you know, you're nice to each other and you're community members, but you're not like completely tied up in each other's lives to an unhealthy extent. It lacks the feeling of closeness I was trained to expect. Yeah. So I kind of feel alienated a little bit because I was raised to expect what is known as love bombing. (laughs) Love Um, bombing, you said? No, I haven't. So, um... It's used in spiritual abuse, religious trauma, um, other like circles like that that kind of experience this, where when you go to a church and you're a new person, um, a cult-like church or church that spiritually abuses will do something called love bombing, which is they suck you in with how nice they are. Like you go to church and you walk away going, wow, those people are like really intense with like how much they care about you and it's one of the ways they recruit you Mm. wow i've never um i've never heard that term but uh i'm retroactively thinking through some of my experiences (laughs) (laughs) in the moment thinking about thinking about that um (laughs) so you mentioned that you you're homeschooled until you graduate um, and you, yes. you, you graduate, um, or you have your high school equivalency. What, um, where do you, where do you go after homeschool? Um, what, what's next after that? Um, so I, that's actually an interesting part of my story. Um, the church that I grew up in taught something called the stay at home daughter movement, which was popularized by Jeffrey Botkin and his daughters, um, the Botkin sisters. Um, they created a documentary called Return of the Daughters, and they advocated for women not to be educated and women not to go to college and for daughters to just expect to never leave the home 
So they're just supposed to stay at home and learn how to submit to their husbands by submitting to their father. And it is as creepy as it sounds. Um, but my church was part of that. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I wasn't supposed to go to college. Um, how did, did you anyway? Yeah. How did you feel about that? I, I'm just, how did, how did you feel like, how did that make you feel? And then <laughs> I grew up wanting to be involved in some kind of science field, like I had dreams about being a volcanologist, which is studying volcanoes. And I wanted to be a marine botanist and study algae at one point. And then I realized in high school that I wasn't going to get a decent math or science education. And I'd have to spend a lot of time in college making it up. Um, so I just kind of gave up. Hmm. But I was a very good pianist and I was taking piano lessons. And my piano teacher one day made this offhand comment about me going to college. And when I told him I was not going to college, that women were not supposed to go to college, he lost his shit <laughs> in a very nice way. But he completely freaked out. It was like, what do you mean you're not going to college? That's completely ridiculous. And that kind of made me reconsider college. Um, so I ended up going to Pensacola Christian College, which was about an hour away from where we were living at the time. And it's a tiny fundamentalist Baptist school in the deep south. It's where the Abeka curriculum comes from. They published that, which is how I knew about it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I ended up at PCC, and I was there for four and a half years before I graduated. And again, graduated in quotation marks. <laughs> is it an accredited school? It was not at the time. Okay. Um, it is. Now, that's actually something I want to touch on later because of who they're accredited by. It's relevant to what's currently happening political, politically, especially with Falwell and DeVos being involved in education. Yeah. Um, so at Pensacola, what was the um, environment like there? Uh, I went to Indiana Wesleyan, which uh, it was, I don't know, between Bob Jones and we and I, Bob Jones being very conservative, and I don't know, what's an example? Anderson or Calvin College is being like a more liberal one. Um, we were like in the middle. No rated R movies, you know, four on the floor, um, no mixed gender dorms, uh, dorm visiting hours, all that sort of stuff, uh, required chapel. That was the sort of like legalistic aspect of, of that school when I was there. Um, what, yeah. what was it like at Pensacola? Um, so when I met my partner and I kind of started explaining my background and started kind of talking about the college that I'd gone to, um, he said it sounded like the Stanford prison experiment. Oh, wow. And I was, had never heard of that before and which shocked him. So we Googled it and I read the Wikipedia article and was like, mm, yep, oh, like not Lord. quite that extreme, but the same things happening. Um, and then students um, not so lovingly nicknamed PCC the Pharisee concentration camp, <laughs> which is really insensitive to the Holocaust survivors. But um, just for example, there's a chain link fence that surrounds the entire campus with like barbed wire, like looped around the top. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then there's like lasers on the ground 
that set off alarms if people try to cross them. What? Yeah, this what? is a college campus. Okay. <laughs> What's yeah, the, I mean, are, are they trying to, to keep you on campus? Is that the intent? Yes. yes. Okay. You're not allowed to go off campus um, unless you scan your ID card. Um, and then there's actually a particular thing. If you get up to 75 demerits, which you can accrue super easy, um, you're punished through something called campusing. Um, which legally fits the definition of false imprisonment. So what's You're not campusing? Allowed to leave campus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How long does that last? Um, it depends. Um, I've heard of it happening for like until the end of the semester or a couple of weeks. It depends on what you did to get the demerits. And they track demerits like just on your student record or, or what have you? Yeah. Yeah, so you're required to have your ID card on you at all times and to provide your ID card and ID number to anybody who asks. Who can ask? Um, floor leaders. Okay, it just sounds like a, it does sound like a prison. Um, it, it does. Um, the beds were from a prison that shut down and the man who ran, ran the student life department used to be a prison warden. Okay. Sounds... Yes, <laughs> there's. <laughs> I could talk for hours about PCC and how messed up it is. But um, <laughs> when people ask me, I get emails a lot from concerned parents and aunts and uncles and cousins and people going, my like relative or friend is considering going to PCC. Please like give me an argument for them not to go there. And my response is always forget about everything crazy you've heard. Yes, it probably is as bad or worse. Everything you've heard is probably true. Settle that aside. Educationally, they're shit. Um, when I was there, professors were fired for answering honest questions in class. Somebody asked a question to ex just, just to explain what Calvinism was, and the school is very anti-Calvinistic, and they just wanted to know what it was. They weren't like asking to be converted or anything, but the teacher answered their question by just explaining Tulip, the five points of yeah. Calvinism, mm -hmm. and he got fired. Okay. And when I was there, I was taking a class called Old Testament Survey, and we were required to read this book and write a critique of it. Um, and it was about why the King James is the only version of the Bible that Christians should read. And I'd grown up very King James only. And this book was some student's dissertation that had been written back in the 80s. And it was very badly argued. And my critique of it was that it was very badly argued because there were better arguments to make for the King James only position. And he had made the argument very badly. Um, and I got called into student life and questioned about it, about a paper I'd written for a class. Hmm. There's just, there's no such thing as honest questions. You're not allowed to ask them. You're not allowed to answer them. They're not interested in offering an actual education at all. That's not why they exist. It's not their purpose. They want nothing to do with quality education. What they want is indoctrination. Hmm, yeah. So what, what, what sort of areas of study did they offer? And what did you, what did, what did you study while you were there? 
So I studied secondary education in music. They really put a lot of stock in their nursing program and really thought that their nursing program was all that. Um, but it really wasn't. Most hospitals in the area like can't stand PCC nurses <laughs> because they're so they're so poorly trained <laughs> and think they know everything because PCC like really gives you the impression that their nursing program is really great when it's not. <laughs> That's not not something you want to nurse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you cut out a little bit. You said that you did a second, a secondary education with a, with a music focus. Um, so I I was able to catch that. And, um, uh, so, but the sort of curriculum that you were given was just a, you were, you were supposed to just spit back the answer that they fed you. Right. So. Yeah. They actually, in the education department, use the metaphor of an ATM. You deposit information into the bank, and then students are expected to just put it out exactly as they received it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> They're quite explicit. They even like shy away from that. And what was your personal experience like there? I, I know that's a broad question, but but when when you when you think back to to how your how your life was then. And the the way you experienced all this as a student, um, what sort of feelings did you have about all of this? Um, and given that you were coming from an already restrictive tradition that that reached all the way into your home life, um, yeah. how did how did all of that sort of affect? And and how did you perceive that at the time? Um. So my parents left the church that I grew up in uh, right before my sophomore year in college. Um, and started going to a slightly less bad version, um, about half an hour away from us. And I kind of started, um, processing some things. My mom was reading a lot of books about spiritual abuse and like, she was having a real education in that. And I kind of like was getting some of that from her. Um, so it was starting to evaluate things and i would also classify pcc as a spiritually abusive environment um but it wasn't until my junior year that i kind of started realizing how fucked up pcc was and at that point because my degree was unaccredited um my family did not have money to send me to school um i was working part part time to kind of pay through it. I'd gotten some scholarships in high school that were paying for about a quarter of it. And my grandfather was helping out with the rest. Um, so I just didn't have the money to start over. I was stuck there. Um, so for like the last two years, it just kind of kept my head down and muscled through it. Tried to find the funny things as they happened. But it's just kind of very it gave me a very morbid sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any any cohorts there and people that felt similarly that you were able to commiserate with? Yeah, everybody kind of found their their tribe. Um, people who really fit in there uh, got together, and um, I made some good friends uh, my like junior and senior year in college that I'm still friends with today. Um, I actually live in the same town as one of them now. She introduced me to my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, college, uh, college definitely 
it, it's good if you can have at least a handful of those relationships that carry on through life, um, regardless yeah. of, of where those uh, relationships begin. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you write it out, you, 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 like you said, you muscle through. Um, yeah. But you, you had started to uh, like sort of deconstruct all these experiences uh, during your sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, yeah. Did did that lead? Um, sometimes I refer. Sometimes I I refer to it. Uh, I think one of the reasons, <laughs> one of my little evangelical baggage things is that like I don't like single, like single terms. <laughs> like deconstruction is is a really good term, but sometimes I I I call it like a break with evangelicalism. Um, yeah. you know, something that that makes that experience that that worldview stop stop working. Um, did you have anything um happen there that that sort of was a catalyst for that? Um, and did it sort of did it carry on after after your time at PCC was done? Yeah, um, it was a whole bunch of things. Um, so the second half of college, I was in an abusive relationship. Um, and he ended up breaking it off a couple months before the wedding, which was supposed to be a couple weeks after I graduated. Wow. Um, because I wasn't being submissive enough. And what he meant by that was he tried to call me a goddamn fucking bitch. And I told him he couldn't call me that anymore. And that meant I wasn't being submissive. So, um, he broke it off as an attempt to try to reassort control because a month later he tried to get back together with me and thought that I'd had my like heartbreak and I'd be desperate to take him back. And he was very surprised when that did not work out for him. (laughs) Good Lord. Um, (laughs) Yeah. What an ass. (laughs) It was was, so funny story. This is actually quite hilarious. In retrospect, it was not funny at the time. We, we met because we were both percussionists in the symphonic band and the orchestral symphony. And we were both in the pep band together too. And PCC has this tradition where every year on Thanksgiving, because you're not allowed to leave campus for Thanksgiving, they do a whole shindig. And one of the things that they do is the Turkey bowl. Um, and it's super popular. Like it's, it's um, all of grad- graduates like come back and pastors from all over the country come back and it's this huge thing it's just like they just pack this soccer field full of people like there's thousands upon there's probably like ten thousand people oh wow like at this place um it's this huge event and i'm in the pep band so they have all these microphones set up and this is after he'd dumped me and after he tried to get back together and i was like clearly not speaking to him and we're trying to get all the percussion stuff set up so we're like dragging out all the percussion instruments and instead of helping drag out all the percussion instruments he's just been following me back and forth and like saying the words sam i want to talk to you like over and over and over and over and over and over over again for like 15 minutes it was extended it was like comical how long this went on and i we start the pep band and we're playing the rally and every once in a while they would shut off the microphone so they could play ads over the speaker system for like, get some like pizza from the pizza stand and like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So they've, they've cut out all the microphones and we're not playing. So he turns to me and he's, he's 
starts laying into me the way he used to and something inside me just snapped and in books they talk about characters seeing red and i always thought it was a metaphor it's not you can get so angry that your world turns red that it's it's an actual thing that happens (laughs) and i was so furious i was so angry at everything and i just it just all came boiling out of me, including curse words. Uh-huh. And this is on a campus where you can get demerits for saying the word crap. Oh my and gosh. I said the F word. I like screamed the F word at him and finished. And that's when I realized that 10,000 people were staring at me <laughs> because the microphones had turned back on and I was standing right next to one. Oh no. hilariously nothing happened nobody did anything i was not punished i was not nothing happened i wasn't allowed back onto the pep band after that mr (laughs) closar was um unhappy to say the least but i was fine with that at that point um (laughs) and it's it's hilarious now but it was like one of the more traumatic things that happened to me there but it's just like how many people like get like an actual like mean girls level movie scene with their ex (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that that definitely sounds just totally cinematic (laughs) like it really really was (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) yeah that would have to have been like uh like a crazy cathartic moment to to do that and then to realize that all the eyes are on you like after all of that release that happened yeah. it was i think the best part of it was like he was like like his lip was quivering he was like crying it was amazing it was perfect oh man <laughs> uh well it sounds like um sounds like he deserved it <laughs> Oh, he definitely did. <laughs> that and much more. Shall we? Yeah. I eat boys like you for breakfast. Where's my salt and pepper now? Oregano, basil, and thyme. And my tapatio. So you you move on from this whole experience. Um Yeah. Did you go to did you continue on? I, I know um through some of our other conversations you spent some time at Liberty. Um, yeah. Is that immediately after this or is there some time before that? Yeah. Or- um it was almost immediately. I graduated in December um and was at Liberty the next fall. Okay. So um, I did a spring semester online at Regent University, mm-hmm. um, Pat Robertson School in Virginia Beach, um, because Liberty wanted me to fill out a little bit more because my senior year, I realized I didn't want to be a teacher. I hated teaching. Um, so I needed to get something else. And I knew I didn't care about whether or not women had to stay at home anymore. So I figured, well, I don't have anything better to do. Why not go get a master's? Um, but like, 
PCC was unaccredited, so my options were really limited. So I applied to basically only Liberty. Liberty was um, the only graduate school that would accept PCC's degree and had an English program that I was interested in, at least remotely. Um, most places only had English education degrees, and like I said, I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, so I applied to Liberty. That was a pain. PCC, you don't, it's a, it's kind of like China. You access the internet through a proxy server and you can't get to other colleges' websites. So I had to get a floor leader and go off campus to a Kinko's and apply to Liberty while they were like standing and looking over my shoulder to make sure I wasn't, I don't know, reading newspapers or something. <laughs> um, I want to slam my head against the table. <laughs> <laughs> it was the whole thing. It was very difficult. It was so annoying. I had to like go to student life and get permission and get all these forms. It was just, it was just ridiculous. Um, and I had to do it multiple times too, because I had to go to the website and figure out what I needed to do to apply. And then I had to do that. And like, I had to take the GR. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. It was ridiculously complicated. Um, so I applied and I got accepted, um, for the next fall. So I went home and I got a job at a bank and dealt with well, I didn't deal with depression and stuff. I just didn't, I didn't really do anything. And then I went to school the next fall. I went to Liberty. Mm -hmm. And Liberty, um, it's, it's known certainly by its reputation um, for, for being the Falwell school. Um, yeah. And I mean, uh, Liberty, Liberty, because of because of that reputation, has has come in and out of the national spotlight. Um, I I do remember a somewhat. Uh, I, I think it was in the Atlantic. There was an article written by someone who came out to their English professor, um, and like in private, and so that yeah, that was like a sort a more positive look on it. I mean, though, even even by it's only been a couple of years since that was written, but I think that a lot of people would say that that is not, I mean, it was, I guess, a, an encouraging stance at the time, but now wouldn't, would be seen as probably not far enough. Um, yeah. Um, he was, the professor that he was talking to was Karen Swallow Pryor, um, who I took a class with in graduate school and um, uh, we got along well when I was there. Um, still get along well, actually. We still talk and we're still Facebook friends and things. Mm -hmm. um, the English department at Liberty is this interesting little bubble. Um, because especially on the graduate level, especially when you have people of like the caliber of writing that you have from like Dr. Pryor. And um, there's a few other scholars there that are actually like credible scholars who publish decent things. It was it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, the English department, probably because it's the English department, has to, in order to be taken seriously, you have to read things, and you have to engage with things, and you have to talk about postmodernism, and you have to deal with it seriously. You can't... Um, Pretend just, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. like, you, you don't really get that sense from, like, the Bible department or, like, the philosophy department or... Like, shockingly, like, philosophy was just, I think it's because it's so easy to just, like, wrap yourself up in Kant and, like, not go anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. But 
the the fact that Brandon was in the English department and in the humanities program is probably gave him a slightly different experience than say if somebody was like a computer science major or a Bible major. Mm -hmm. So what was the graduate experience like there? Did you live on campus or did you live off campus and and take classes? What was, what was that experience like for you there? Um, I lived off campus. Um, Housing in Lynchburg is pretty cheap. Um, And uh, it was, It's unfortunate that my life had so severely limited my options, but it was a good step in the right direction. It was a step forward. It was one step further out of fundamentalism, um, especially since I was in the English department and not like getting a Bible degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But it was just a step. And I'm currently at United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities to kind of, well, honestly, kind of wipe PCC and Liberty off my resume because they're uh, not credible institutions, unfortunately. Hmm. And yeah, it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate that because I feel that my English degree is. I mean, I did the same kinds of works that everybody does in English graduate school. It, like, I don't think it was substantively different. Um, but it it was interesting because most of the people who were in my classes had graduated from Liberty undergrads. So we were almost all white people. There was one Asian American and one African American in my program. Um, one Latino man. And that was kind of it. Everybody else was white people and white evangelical Christians and only talking to white evangelical Christians about literature is just not really a diversity of perspectives. So in that sense, it's it's really difficult to get a good humanities degree when everybody you know talks like you and acts like you and thinks like you. Yeah. I think like the professors tried to overcome that some, but I don't think that's something you can do unless you actually invite people who disagree with you into class, which they didn't do. They invited the Catholic in every once in a while, and that was about it. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Exotic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, hearing Hearing you talk about these experiences now... I mean, you you have a, a sense of awareness about the the experience the the sort of progression away from the fundamentalist background that you had, um, yeah. and it was in it was in kind of this uh, this sort of gradual progression. Um, did anything that sort of happened in your academic or um, academic or personal life sort of ex- accelerate that to? the place you're at now where you felt like you needed to get another degree and what sort of things um, sort of served as that uh, catalyst of becoming aware of your um, becoming aware of your, your sort of limited um, experience, your limited options and your limited available perspectives and that sort of thing that you had so far in your life. Was there anything that, that sort of served as, as that, uh, as that catalyst for you that, that, you know, made you made you more aware of that desire within yourself. Yeah. 
Um, but I think a big part of it is my partner. Um, he grew up in Ann Arbor and he went to the University of Michigan. Um, and Ann Arbor's a unique and wonderful place. And I met a sister, my sister-in-law. Um, she was in Calvin at the time. And she was pursuing a degree in uh, social work from Calvin. And now she's getting a degree in public health. And um, I started interacting with him and his family and his friends. And he grew up in Ann Arbor, which is incredibly diverse. So he had Syrian friends and friends from Egypt and friends from Saudi and um, immigrants from all over the world um, and Orthodox Christian and uh, Catholic and Islam and um, just he didn't grow up in this just really limited bubble that I did. Um, and I was talking to one of his friends and he said something uh, praise uh, praising Marx, Karl Marx, and it just shocked me that anyone could say anything positive about Karl Marx. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just like all these little things where people just questioned, not necessarily intentionally. It wasn't like we were having like arguments or anything. It was just, they would say something that would just fundamentally challenge everything I like thought about the world being true. And I was like, well, wait a minute. And I would start looking into it and, and reading and, um, then after I got married and moved to Maryland, um, I'm chronically ill. So being full-time employed is not really possible for me. Um, and so I was just at home all the time by myself and I was a freelance editor at the time, um, had been for a couple of years, but I, I was just so bored. So I started blogging as just kind of like this thing to do on a lark cause I was bored. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then it turned into this, this huge thing that I just did not expect. And being a part of the blogging world, and then you, you discover things like intersectional feminism and liberation theology, and you just realize that there's this whole world out there, and most of the answers are in seminary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I was giving a talk at the Gay Christian Network conference couple of years ago and at the conference they had like a room with, with a bunch of tables people set up and there was a bunch of seminaries there and one of the seminaries that was there was united and i asked them if they had any kind of online program because i can't i can't move for seminary i'm stuck where i am and they said yes and um but because of my background i was having i'd been i'd been applying to seminaries for about six months at that point and most were not considering me because of my background, because I don't have an accredited undergraduate degree. And that's the only thing they really look at because seminary is just another master's. Um, and so they weren't even considering liberty, which is complicated. I have to finish the liberty degree because I didn't, I didn't have time while I was there to complete the foreign language requirement, which you're supposed to complete in undergrad, but PCC sucks. So I didn't have that. Um, so I didn't have time in grad school and I didn't have the money right after grad school. And then by the time I had the money, I didn't have the time. Mm -hmm. So technically I don't have a piece of paper from Liberty, but I went there for two years and I walked across the stage in cap and gown and did the right. whole shebang. <laughs> yeah. But I don't have the paper. Um, and kind of don't want it <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's, it's just why. 
Um, so I'm just starting over at United. Um, and I like, I literally like talked my way into the school. I like talked to a bunch of people and I talked to the admissions director and I like um, wrote a bunch of stuff and just <laughs> impressed everyone so much with well, there you go. That's all great. the <laughs> things I've overcome in my life that they just had to take me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. That, that's how I think of it anyway. <laughs> so before we, um, I, I know we, we want, we definitely want to talk about how relevant all of this Christian education stuff is. I really yeah. want to devote a, a good amount of time to that. Um, but I, I am curious just, just for you, um, what makes you continue to stay engaged with these, with, with these questions? What, what makes you want to stay engaged with these things that for, that have, have led to some trauma and abuse for you? What, what, um, what is it about studying God and whatever, whatever that word means and whatever that represents, what keeps you interested now? Um, I am just one of those people that like Kierkegaard puts it, I just, I made the leap of faith Mm -hmm. to just I have a hard time conceptualizing the universe without some kind of supernatural something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. Um, and I've chosen to stick it out with Christianity as my faith tradition because it is my faith tradition. Um, it's in my culture. It's, it's what I grew up in. Um, and there are things in Christianity that do make it worthwhile and do make it beautiful. Um, I love the idea of the incarnation. I love the idea of the Imago Dei. I, there's, there's a lot of value still in it. And I appreciate that people like James Cone have been able to take Christianity as an oppressive force and say, doesn't have to be that way in fact it's not that way at all and it's just i've i've chosen to be a christian because i've chosen to follow christ i'm not entirely sure what that means entirely but jesus is a really important figure to my my faith and um i think being a christian means trying to be like him and i don't think it has to be more complicated than that right yeah and i i I think that's great um and the fact that you cho- you you choose it now, I mean, that's definitely a huge, a huge thing. It is it is your choice to continue this. Um, and I think that's I think that's great. It's just, it's a question I I always like to ask, be because everybody has a, a sort of different take on it and brings their own experiences to bear on it. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, sorry. Uh, thanks <laughs> thanks for answering that.
So now I'd like to really turn back and, and talk about and unpack this, um, these sorts of experiences that you've had firsthand with the homeschooling tradition, um, extremely conservative uh, Christian school, liberty, all of those things. You've you've been you've you've had you've been involved in Christian education. You've been a product of Christian education from um, at every level. Um, and now that's an extremely relevant experience nationally because of the because of the recent no- nomination and confirmation of Betsy DeVos as our Department of Education uh, lead <clears throat> or or head of the Department of Education. Um, so uh, let's just let's just start really with um, um, what. Are your sort of gut and, and gut <laughs> fears, and um, what are, what's your what's your initial reaction to that? And uh, I mean, also if, if you have any color commentary to fill in about Betsy DeVos <laughs> too, and her her um, her her historical role in in all of this, um, I'd I'd love to hear that too. Uh, it's definitely not something that I I mean I'm I'm learning all of this sort of as it's coming about in the new cycle. Um, so I don't have the depth of knowledge that someone like, like you does. And I think, uh, I, I, and the listeners will really benefit from that. So, so, um, just, just open it up. What, why should people be concerned about this? Um, because it's all so incredibly connected. It's so difficult to explain just the web of things going on. It's um, when they first announced uh, Betsy DeVos as being Trump's pick for secretary of education, my mouth dropped open because I recognized her name. Um, Like her (laughs) was my gut reaction. And I just, it, it was shocking to me to hear somebody from like my world be launched into that position. I just did not expect that. I was just like, oh, huh. How did Trump hear about her? Was like my next question. It's like, how did he like find her from like the backwoods of Michigan? Like what? Um and then of course it was like, oh right, the Heritage Foundation. They picked her. Cause as multiple articles and things have expounded on, the Heritage Foundation is kind of the think tank that Bannon and everyone's like working with they like they drew up the plan for the first 100 days and like all that stuff so they're kind of they're one of the puppet masters of this whole business and her and heritage foundation you know go back a ways they're um they've been in bed together for a while (laughs) um so like that's what's like well okay i guess that does make sense. That like fits everything the Heritage Foundation wants. Um, she's like perfect for that, unfortunately. Um, and it's just um, Samantha B and Rachel Maddow and stuff have kind of started connecting the history of segregation and Christian education, which 
go hand in hand. Um, and it's they're they're not like shy about it. It's very intentional. Um, PCC is actually interesting in this respect because um, the founders of PCC graduated from Bob Jones, which Bob Jones v USA is that whole. Have you heard of that? And uh, yeah, yeah. The um, one of one of my favorite articles is by Randall Warmer when he it's a Politico magazine article. And um, it exposes how the the origins of the re- religious right, as you mentioned, go back to segregation, not not uh, abortion, which is abortion yeah. is the is the founding myth that they sell to Republicans and to conservative evangelicals and everything. Um, but really, it comes down to uh, Bob Jones wanting to make his own rules about his school um, and, and Falwell. Falwell and mm-hmm. everyone was all tied up in that. Yeah. Um. And Bob Jones didn't change their interracial dating rule until 2000. So this is not even ancient history. Um. This is like, I was in high school when they got rid of the interracial dating rule. Mm-hmm. Um. So PCC is notable because they, the founders, graduated from Bob Jones, but actually tried to be somewhat like anti-racist. Um. They disagreed <laughs> with the the segregationist things that all of the other Christian schools are kind of going after um, and have tried to kind of be like, we're not like Bob Jones when it comes to the race stuff since, you know, they started the school, you know, of course you can't be a fundamentalist college in the deep South and not be really hella racist. (laughs) They are incredibly racist. They're just not black people aren't allowed to come here. Racist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they tried and, and, and failed, but they tried sort of, um, so like there are like kind of outliers to the whole white supremacy, evangelicalism, religious right kind of mashup. Um, but where they are all connected, um, so Christian educators like Farwell and DeVos isn't an educator, but she's like in the business. Um, they're against regulations. And this is interesting. Uh, Liberty runs the this accreditation thing called the Transnational Association of Christian Colleges and Schools, which is the accreditation body, quotation marks, <laughs> that accredits Pensacola Christian College. Um, they're actually doing that while I was a graduate student at Liberty, I was coming out of the academic building and I bumped into Dr. Molinex, who was the vice president of PCC. And I was like, Dr. Molinex, what are you doing here? And he was like, <laughs> quite shocked and recognized. Um, it's like, oh, I'm like here on business. And I was like, what could you possibly have to do here? You hate these people. Like you hate <laughs> them. Like what are you doing? And then I realized that they were seeking accreditation from the Transnational Association of Christian Colleges and Schools. Um, and one of my professors that I was taking romantic literature from, she was like on the accreditation board that was looking into PCC. Um, so it's like, they're like, it's like, it's all like this interconnected thing. And so when it comes to accreditation, PCC and Bob Jones and Liberty and everyone and, and DeVos, they're all on the same side. And they're all on the same side because accreditation matters. 
PCC tried to tell me that it didn't, but it does. And one of the things that really matters in accreditation is saying things like, do you teach math? Do you teach science? And Liberty doesn't want to teach science. When Liberty first started getting accreditation, they had to completely rearrange their biology department because in order to get accredited, um, their biology students had to learn something about evolution. They weren't teaching that before that, um, but they had to in order to get accreditation. So they like had to do like this whole like re department reorganization so that only the people who absolutely had to take the evolution course like like got to take it and other people who were just like part of the biology program for like pre-medicine or whatever didn't have to take it <laughs> um so they they've like gone out of they, they've gone to huge expense to like make sure that only the students who absolutely have to take a course in evolution and nobody else does like they went out of their way and but they had to do it because of accreditation and PCC actively opposed getting accreditation because they didn't want us to submit to that kind of oversight. Um, schools, there are all kinds of Christian schools all over the country that don't have accreditation, high school and college, because to submit to accreditation means submitting to oversight and means submitting to academic regulation. And they don't want that because they don't want to actually give their students a quality education. That is not the point. Getting their students a quality education is so completely beside the point. The point is religious indoctrination, which is what DeVos wants. All of the schools that she's given money to and helped start in Michigan, they're performing abysmally. They're not doing well. Even introducing charter schools, the scores have gone down, segregation's gone up. It's just ridiculous. But she's happy, and everybody who's doing it is happy because the point isn't education. The point is making sure children hear about God and make sure you like snatch them when they're too young to think critically and then make sure you don't teach them to think critically and make sure that they like they're so inculcated in it that maybe if we brainwash them super intensely even if they go to the University of Michigan they'll come out on the other side of fundamentalist christian which does shockingly happen sometimes huh. and it's 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 sounds extreme to say it that way but it's really not to people like DeVos and Falwell and the people at PCC and the people at Bob Jones and pretty much any like super conservative school like these, if you walk out of their institution being a super hard right political and theological Christian, they've accomplished their goal. That's what they want for us. Not, not like success, not careers, not jobs, not anything. Just, if you walk out having bunches of Bible verses memorized and convinced that abortion is wrong, they're good. And it's, it's really frustrating that the world I grew up in and have been fighting tooth and nail for the last four years is like now in charge of the government. <laughs> yeah. So what can, what, what can they do to, uh, to enforce this sort of thing in, 
now that they are running the Department of Education, that someone like Betsy DeVos is running the Department of Education, what will be a concrete implication and consequence of this sort of philosophy on public education in the United States? Well, the Republicans have been trying to push school choice, the voucher program, for, I don't know, as long as I've been politically aware. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, of course, they're very excited. Right. I remember W was really into that. And uh, um, and I was at Christian college at the time and it, you know it was seen as like a positive thing for sure yeah and it's it's not like charter schools and voucher programs are like completely impossible to do well mm-hmm. um they, they, they can be successful like everybody's seeing that documentary waiting for superman at this point um probably have you heard of it i've heard of it i have not seen it um yeah and- i watched it because you know that that's my universe <laughs> yeah um the uh, but as far as charter schools in general, um, Chicago, where I live, um, the the city itself has a number of uh, private uh, charter schools and magnet schools and um, all sorts of, I mean, the, the public education is kind of excessively complicated here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, you know, uh, letter grading and, and num- numerical grading and all these different things to and charter schools are by no means like a runaway success here. Uh, they, um, they are very much individual. Um, the, it's a mixed bag, uh, the, the, their ratings as far as, um, like the general sort of ratings can be, it's like one plus and all these different down to like three. Uh, and I, the, the one in our, in our immediate neighborhood here, um, is middling. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, it's, it's, a private, it's a private charter school and it's not, um, it's not going to blow your socks off <laughs> with, yeah. with its, uh, with its ratings, with, um, with any of that. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I, uh, that's, that's my own personal exposure and the sort of local exposure that the Chicago area has. Uh, but to, I, I know that John Oliver, recently did a whole episode devoted to charter schools and how little oversight many of them had and how um, many of them are really just almost like Ponzi schemes. Like they just are are dishonest. Uh, (laughs) They're just taking money, not educating kids, not even providing facilities for them closing. Um, It's a, yeah, to, to use 45s, you know, you would say it's a complete disaster, total disaster. (laughs) Um, yeah <laughs> so and that can happen right um like in in alabama i'm pretty sure it might have been mississippi one of those two somewhere in the deep south <laughs> um they passed a bill that would give funding to like like school vouchers to religious schools and people started using them for islamic schools because the bill allowed that because it allowed religious schools and the people who had like written and co-authored and uh, co-sponsored the bill were so horrified that they like rushed back to whatever their state government is called state legislature Mm -hmm. and like retracted it because they wanted Christian schools to get the money, not those like dirty Muslims. Oh my God. It was, it was just horrific. And 
Like that's that, that's again, that's the point. Like religious education is the point. Christian education, Christian conservative education, if at all possible. Like mm-hmm. in Maryland, where I live, there actually is a decent amount of oversight of charter schools and voucher programs and, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not the complete unmitigated disaster that has been in Detroit under DeVos's programs. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's this back door because public education, because it's public has all of these like vested interests in like making sure that um, like religious tolerance and plurality and all of these ideas are part of public education, that you can't exalt one religion over another. You can't teach one religion as true and not others. Like, because we live in a pluralistic society and our constitution reflects that and always has. Um, but like vouchers are a backdoor around that. And like, that's the point. If you talk to anybody who's been invested in getting school choice and school vouchers legalized, it's to do a runaround those regulations to get money flowing into Christian schools so that they can accomplish religious indoctrination and not good education. And DeVos is, if she like goes whole hog with a school choice program, it's just, we're seeing like this zeitgeist from the White House. And I think it's just gonna happen so fast that they're just going to try to implement it so quickly that like no regulations can possibly even be thought of before it's there and that's what's happening. And then there will be schools getting the money and then there'll be politicians invested in making sure this program stays in place. And it's just going to, it's just going to be a cluster. <laughs> Not looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so the, some of the, you have a lot of personal experience to bear into this, um, to, to bring to bear into this. Uh, and, I'm wondering if you could uh, sort of speak to, and just in the way that you've described your experience um, through our discussion here, it seems like you feel like you've had to overcome a lot of things because of the result of this type of education. Um, is that is that a fair way to to characterize it? Yeah. Um, everything I've done is in spite of my education, not because of it, which is not how education is supposed to work. Right. And I was, um, if you could like just kind of, um, elaborate a little bit and, and how, how you've had to overcome and, and the sort, the sorts of things that you felt like you've had to, um, do at different stages that, that, um, as a result of the education philosophy that, that, um, that you received and at, through the homeschool curriculum, as well as at the two colleges that you went to. And how that is framing your opposition and your your concern over over the current administration. Uh, so I did the Abeka curriculum in high school, and to call the history textbooks racist just doesn't even begin. Um, they refer to the modern country of India as backwards because they're Hindu 
mostly. And they don't even recognize that India is actually a very religiously like diverse country, but they say that because most of the people who live there are Hindu, they're backwards. Okay. Um, Africa is referred to as the dark continent. The, like the chapter, the section heading for Africa is the dark continent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's Sorry. Just, my... It's just like tip of the iceberg level stuff. And when I was on my honeymoon, we were in Chicago actually for my honeymoon. And we went to the, uh, we were at the Art Institute. Mm-hmm. And at the time they were doing an exhibit on um, basically stuff the British Empire stole from every country it was in. <laughs> basically. Colonialism. Um, here's some, yeah. here's some artifacts. Um, <laughs> and I, I briefly encountered the term colonialism in uh, graduate school, but not not in any depth. And so I'm walking through this exhibit, and it's explaining British colonialism to me, which I'd never really thought of. Um, in high school, when we're taught about the British Empire, it's explained as being this glorious manifestation of God's will on Earth, because... The English language spread everywhere, and you were able to like get the Bible to all of these people, and all of these missionaries had access to all of these countries because the British Empire was there, like protecting British citizens, and they could go to India and Hong Kong and all these places and share the gospel. And isn't that completely wonderful? And when an ambassador asked Queen Victoria what the success of the British Empire, like how do you how have you achieved this? She hands him a Bible. Like, that's actually a story that's in the textbook. Um, I have no idea if it's true. I can't verify whether or not it's true, but I was taught it was true. Um, and it's just, it's, it's so bad. It's so incredibly bad. And it's so completely lacking in any kind of nuance whatsoever. So I'm walking through this exhibit at the Art Institute, and it's like talking about just, you know, casually referencing offhand these atrocities that I've never heard of. And I, like, start crying. Um, and my partner is just like, what is happening? <laughs> We're in a museum <laughs> staring at, like, necklaces and shit. What is that? <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm so completely clueless. I had literally no idea. And I was taught to literally glorify the British Empire as being, like, of God. And, like, that's not accurate at all. It is so lacking any kind of depth. Um, it, 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 was, it was just like that, like, over and over and over and over again. With so many things. It's just completely absent. I just don't know. Like, my textbook, like kind of went out of its way to call the Civil War the war between states. Like, it was <laughs> shocking. He didn't ever call it the war of northern aggression. Like, <laughs> it, it's just... Mm. It's, it's, it's like... And, like, the thing is, is Christian schools, all the ones that Betsy DeVos wants to give all this money to, they use a Becca. The vast majority of them use a Becca. 
Becca has spent a long time and a lot of money promoting their curriculum. It's one of the most popular Christian school curriculum on the planet. They sell it to multiple countries. Hmm. And my, the education I got is what is the education Betsy DeVos wants everybody to have. If all these kids go to these school choice voucher programs because it's going to be a better education, they're going to learn what I did about history. And it's going to, it's just bad. It's so bad. And like, that's just tip of the iceberg level stuff. Mm -hmm. And then like in graduate school, it just got worse. How so? Um, so I had to take advanced literary criticism. And I'd never taken a regular literary criticism because PCC doesn't want to teach you literary criticism because those things are satanic. <laughs> um, we had a whole class period in my British novel class dedicated to why nobody should go to any kind of secular university ever. Here's all these nightmare stories about what will happen to you. Literary criticism is of the devil. Um, no, literally, like she set up the devil. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm taking advanced literary criticism, having never encountered literary criticism ever before in my life. And he introduces us to deconstructionism and, you know, Jacques Derrida and Difference and all these things that you're already supposed to know about. And I had no clue. And he gave us this homework assignment where he showed us how to do de like the method of deconstruction. There's like an actual way to go about it. I just didn't, I didn't know that. Um, he like showed us how to do it in class and said, I want you to do this to Genesis three tonight for homework. Come back in two days and like, let's talk about it. And I thought it was going to be impossible. I thought the Bible was impervious to deconstruction, that it just could not be done. The Bible is perfect. God wrote it. That's it. How am I possibly supposed to do this homework? Maybe that's the point. Ha ha ha. It was easy. It was so easy. It was so easy to rip apart Genesis 3 using deconstructionism. I started sobbing. I called my parents. I was so distraught. Because it just forced in your face that everything I was taught about the Bible is completely wrong. <laughs> completely wrong. Like, not just, like, wrong, but hilariously wrong. And I came back to class, and I'm like, I'm still crying about it. I was like, I can't believe you made us do this. He was just like, well, you're the first person who, like, really understood what this means for, like, Christianity and evangelicalism. And I was just like, it's not helpful. And he's like, well, you understand why postmodernism was such a shock to, like, Christianity. I was like, yeah. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> um, cognitive dissonance is, is painful. Mm -hmm. um, it makes you cry. Um, like, another example, it was, again, on my honeymoon in Chicago. Only this time we're at the um, Field Natural History Museum. Mm -hmm. and. I'd met with dinosaurs before. We'd always avoided them because, you know, any natural history museum that talks about dinosaurs is just going to be full of lies because young earth creationism. So I'd never been to one before. We'd always skipped it when we went to natural history museums. Um, but, you know, 
I'm not a fundamentalist anymore. I'm going to go through like the dinosaur exhibit. Again, I start crying like halfway through. I have to like sit down and start crying because I'm like reading the placards that explain the dioramas that I'm looking at. And at this point, I've kind of accepted that evolution was probably true. I hadn't really thought about it super hard. I just kind of like gave up on young earth creationism without I just gave up. I didn't think about it too much. I was just like, oh, well, that's wrong. So I'm going to stop worrying about it. Uh-huh. And I was reading these placards and like accepting that this is probably like the scientific community's consensus on this. And they probably have really good reasons for thinking this is true. Um, or at least as close to true as they can manage. And in my head is just screaming all of the young earth creationism things I'd absorbed as a kid. Cause we were super into young earth creationism Institute for creation research answers in Genesis. I read every single issue of ex nihilo, which was their journal in college. Like I was obsessed and it's just like in my head is just like the brainwashing was fighting it. It was, Hmm. like this good versus evil battle inside of my head like younger creationism just like was shrieking lies at you know fairly innocuous things in this natural history museum and it it was so overwhelming and like that's what's going to happen to children in america It's like they're going to get a biology textbook from Rebecca in 10th grade that the chapter on evolution is just filled with cartoons, like actual cartoons. It's 10th grade, and it's just comic strips explaining evolution and making fun of it. And that's it. And then they're going to tell you things, like if you take the geometry class from Bob Jones University Press, they're going to tell you that like basically any Greek mathematician who discovered anything did it on accident because God let them. <laughs> and it's just it's 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 so painful to try to undo this and try to like be actually informed and to separate fact from fiction and it's like every single day of my life there's so much it's like well how much of what i was like i just assumed to be true because it was coming at me from textbooks is completely wrong or so unnuanced it might as well be wrong hmm and it's it's like it's everything. People mention some historical detail, and I just have to fact check my entire life all of the time. It's exhausting, and it's what I do like full time. Like I like it, I blog about it. It's my job to like deconstruct my life. If you don't have the time to do that, what are you supposed to do? You just have to live with the misinformation you've been given, and you won't be able to like ever really do anything about it. And that's just heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and there are so many people that are in the position that you're in because they've received that that education whether it's in their homes or or something similar in their churches and that like that that pain that cognitive dissonance that you mentioned i mean yeah (laughs) that's (laughs) intense (laughs) Yeah, it's just, if I could retcon my life, I would. Hmm. 
like there's 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 so many points where if we'd gone one direction instead of another everything would have been totally different mm-hmm. but mm. it is what it is and mostly i'm fairly happy with it i i've settled into some equilibrium i like that i'm at a good seminary i like my marriage i like my job but i'm just fortunate most I, I'm, I've been in like homeschool survivor communities and I've talked to people from PCC and Liberty and a lot of them didn't land on their feet. Hmm. What do you think people can do to combat these sorts of things? Um, we mentioned that uh, just in our correspondence before this, that you've become uh, more active in your local community in the sort of uh, in a political party and a political group and everything. Uh, what sort of ways can can people combat this sort of philosophy, these sorts of institutions that are so invested in indoctrination over education and um, informing a populace that is loyal to a worldview that is incongruous with the actual world itself? Um, what what can people do? What what are uh, what are some steps for people that aren't are concerned? What can they what can they do? Is, is there any organization you could recommend or any um, action steps that that you might recommend to people? Yeah, um, an organization I've worked with sometimes is called the Coalition for Responsible Home Education, and they're interested in reforming a lot of the homeschooling laws or really lack thereof, there is barely any oversight at all. Many states don't have any any kind of oversight whatsoever. Um, and trying to introduce some regulations um, to try to just keep kids safe and make sure they like get to teenagers and can read, which that doesn't happen all the time. Um, and the other thing is just to like get informed um to know who the heritage foundation is to know what the homeschool legal defense association is um to kind of spend the time connecting the dots um some people have like done this for you there's some good articles out there that like connect devos to the wider like christian education segregationist movement and things like that um, and like it, it's starting to happen with like Rachel Maddow and Samantha B. Like Samantha B. did a really good job breaking down like the history of the religious right on her program that she did a while ago. So some people are paying attention, um, but it's just the people who have been working for this administration have been working toward it as long as I've been alive. It's been their single goal since before I was born. And I'm 30 years old, so mm-hmm. it's an incredibly powerful force. And it's everybody likes to think that this administration is some kind of aberration, that it's some kind of thing that if we just remove Trump from office, everything will be fine. But it's, it, it's not. It's right. a whole system of people that have been, that are excited, like Falwell is excited Mm. that this has finally happened. This is what him and his father have been working for since 
his father started the moral majority. Like, this is it. This is what right. they wanted for forever. It's the culmination, for sure. Yeah, like, they're finally getting it. It's like, it's so close. <laughs> um, so it's just, like, being aware that this is not, like, you can't just cut off the head. To use the Hydra metaphor yeah. from Captain America. <laughs> cut off the head. It will take its place. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of a thing. Like, this is... Yeah, calling the HSLDA and the Heritage Foundation Hydra. Well, I mean, they're not like a paramilitary organization, but everything else. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, in Greek myths, uh, I think Hercules used fire to stop them from from uh, from sprouting new heads. So I think that's probably <laughs> what we're going to need to do, too. Uh, the people yeah. that are, uh, yeah, just some, uh, yeah, using some, some real some real passion and fire to yeah to, to I think, counter I, I think guess. the unfortunate reality is that for the people who've been working for this it's been their part-time or full-time job for a couple decades right resisting this isn't going to be something you can really just do in your spare time occasionally yeah it's going to be a full-throated very focused effort for a very long time and it's going to have to be exhausting it's going to be something we have to care about enough to come out to democratic meetings or whatever political organization you want to be a part of or to really work to get candidates elected who will oppose this kind of thinking to create reform in your state legislatures to like one of the things that we could do is we could contact our state legislators and be like okay maybe we're going down this school choice route let's make sure regulations in place and make some rules for it before it gets gets here mm -hmm. like those kinds of things um yeah. like looking into your christian schools and asking like what curriculum do they use and if they use a becca or bob jones or um staff and rod or a real nightmare one is accelerated christian education that one's real bad that one's incredibly bad. Like, if you've seen, like, a meme of, like, a really fucking racist picture from a textbook, it's probably accelerated Christian education. Oh, good lord. <laughs> yeah, so, like, like find out if the Christian schools in your area use those. Um, and if they do, like, like, talk to your legislators about making sure those schools aren't eligible for voucher programs. Hmm. Yeah. Those kinds of things. You can... You just have to, like, get involved locally. We can make a difference locally, I think, on the county level, on the state level. I, I'm not sure we can control the, like, runaway train that is the federal government at this point. But on the state level, we can definitely do some good. Yeah. Well, those are all really t tangible things, and I appreciate you um, uh, providing that information. Um, because, because it's not... It's not going to go, you, like you said, it's not going to go away. And there's a lot of inertia behind this, uh, behind these groups. And uh, I think there were probably some people similar to me. Uh, I, um, there's, a, there's a podcaster and a journalist, um, and I'll share this anecdote. There, uh, this journalist named Joshua Topolsky, he's actually a, like a, a tech journalist, but mm -hmm. he, he podcasts um, and in the run up to the election and, and throughout a, a lot of it, he uh, would, would talk about um, 
how he felt like this was the and uh, the the culmination the trump the trump phenomenon and everything else was the culmination and the of the eventual death of the um of the white male dominance white christian male dominance of the government and of culture overall um and <laughs> the thing is is that uh it you know the electoral college allowed trump to eke by and these and these groups that align with that <laughs> they find yep. themselves in the seat of power uh with control of both houses um and it's actually a, a like a, a tangible uh thing that that is very credibly considered a threat by a lot of people um and not not something that they're that you know you're oh, they're overreacting to but this is like a tangible threat to to the way people think for decades, just like, just like it has been your experience. Um, and I'm thankful that there are people like, like you that are in public talking about these things, talking about them online, on Twitter, elsewhere, uh, making sure people are aware of the consequences of these, of these policies, that it's not just some, highfalutin policy that won't trickle that won't have an impact on their kids someday um i'm very thankful uh that that you're you're doing what you what you do and i'm thankful that that you agreed to be on the show and and share your experience uh with me and and with the listeners um where else could people find find you online to continue to follow you as you as you uh continue to, to write about this and and lobby against it and um, how can they support you or, or follow you online? Um, so my blog is Samantha P as in page field, one field by itself, singular, <laughs> Samantha P field.com. And then my Twitter handles, the same thing, just at Samantha P field. And my Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Samantha P field dot page. Great. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience. And, and, um, and, and, and again, it, it's very, very relevant and very, um, I'm very thankful that, that you're, that you're out there uh, sharing this with the world. So thank you again for, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me.